Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. When speaking about digitalization in the healthcare market in Germany, probably most of us would generally think firstly about the digital health applications, the DIGA, which has been introduced or the process has been introduced in the last couple of years. However, DIGAs, a lot of people calling those basically digital health apps or applications um, on prescription, are just one aspect of digitalization for sure. I mean, digitalization for sure starts a lot earlier, meaning that we're still discussing about the e-prescription. We still have a lot of questions about artificial intelligence and its use, for example, in the healthcare market. But it starts also a bit on the interoperability, meaning how could uh, different um, as application, digital health application, whether it's DIGAS or other tools and processes be used simultaneously in a way in the inpatient and the outpatient setting. Here it's maybe also very important keeping in mind that the inpatient and the outpatient setting is basically still more or less strictly be differentiated in Germany for sure from a budget perspective and this might also then drive for example the application of different tools. There are now different kind of legal applications, different initiatives as well on its way to hopefully then ease that pathway for interoperability. And it's also a key question, for example, when you think about the digital health applications. Anyhow, different key questions still arise. I mean, what is the demand for those digital health applications? If you think about a tool which might, for example, support physicians in their diagnostics and the measurement for the diagnostics, then it's obviously more the kind of question if those physicians might request and demand it. Um, on the other hand, it's also then the question from a patient's perspective. And here you have the kind of clear pathway, for example, for the DIGAS, as this needs to be a tool in the hands of the patients. A core cool question also still remains if the market access, the reimbursement pathways might be still applicable and useful in the way they are currently being implemented for those tools. For DIGAS, there's a special pathway, but DIGAS needs to be, for example, risk class 1 or 2A. What about a risk class 2B or 3? Meaning they have, for example, as well an impact on the medical decision, um, for example, on the treatment pathway for a patient. Then this would basically need to go through the method evaluation with the GBA. I would rather say this might just simply take, for example, too long. And then you might be back to selective contracts. And just keep in mind, we have just had a recent episode on selective contracts as well. On the other hand, getting that even more complex and complicated, for example, if you have an artificial intelligence, especially 
if it's a learning system. So a learning artificial intelligence, which I guess the definition of AI, uh, which also means that it's getting more intelligent the more cases, for example, such an AI has been detected and used for. But how should this be, for example, included in a benefit assessment? In any way, the digitalization is still a big question mark in Germany. For the discussions here, I've invited Julian Molitor. He's a co-founder and co-CEO of Invenion. And they basically claim, and I believe that because we've seen that, they are shaping the digital transformation in healthcare, especially in Germany. Perfect. Julian, thanks for your time. Thanks for joining into, I think, uh, the future discussion, which I think needs to happen currently. So I think it, it's a bright, or, yeah, quite broad kind of terminology when we are just speaking and discussing about digitalization. But um, how do you see currently the digitalization in the German healthcare system? Mm. That's a very good question, Stefan. Um, well, first of all, I think we all know what happened in the last two years. Um, COVID definitely contributed to more digitization healthcare. I think what we have done in the last years, but also before, we built a solid base, um, especially I think of, for example, the telematic infrastructure, which is more or less the, the technical backbone of everything that's coming in the future. And now we are ready to, to kick off. So what I think is um, we definitely don't um, yeah, utilize all the potential that digitalization can bring into healthcare, um, especially when it compared to other countries. But we have a very good starting point right now. Um, we have a technology that enables interoperability um, among the different providers and systems. Um, we also think have now a change in politics which um, also fosters new innovation and, and new solutions. And also we have a change in mindset. Um, so to briefly answer your question, I think we are ready to pick off right now, but we are not using full potential yet. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that's uh, that's probably a, um, a good kind of... And I, I would generally, I think, uh, would say I agree. I think we have some very good examples. I think the DIGA pathway is, I think, uh, a brilliant example where I think uh, Germany suddenly really, uh, let's say, uh, on the forefront, and a couple of uh, countries are really checking and looking if they could also implement it. I think that discussion in Austria, I think Belgium has implemented something very similar. Um, but you just brought up as well a quite interesting point, which is interoperability. Um, when I would be thinking about, let's say, just simply the outpatient, the inpatient setting in Germany, do you think we are really, let's say, already well prepared also in terms of interoperability? For example, also discussing about the e-prescription or even just implementing, for example, kind of digas between the in and outpatient setting. Mm, I think um, at the moment, I think we all know we are not there yet. Um, so there is not really interoperability, not really exchange of information when I'm an outpatient and then, for example, become an inpatient. Um, still, I think that we really have um, just now substantial improvements. Um, for example, due to COVID, we have the Krankenhaus Zukunftsgesetz, um, KHMZG. Um, and due to this new legislation, hospitals, for example, have to really beef up their IT infrastructure. And this also means more interoperability with outpatient healthcare providers. 
Um, for example, we have a patient portal now. And in this patient portal, um, in the best situation, we have it the same way also for the outpatient um, use cases. And then the patient has to provide his or her data only once. Also, due to the um, electronic health record, um, we, which everyone has to use now, um, we store, for example, all the health metrics and health information only once in the best case. Um, all the hospitals have to connect to it, of course, and also all the outpatient healthcare providers have to connect to it. So I think um, we really, I really want to emphasize, I think we really see a, a change right now. Um, we are not using the potential already because it's just in the implementation phase and planning phase, but I think it will materialize in the coming years. There I'm quite optimistic, to be honest. Good point you just raised. I think two or three years ago, obviously the situation was, was totally different, right? I think um, digitalization was, I would say, quite far away. Um, I think especially in healthcare. But I think you brought up a couple of good things. I think a lot of, uh, let's say, preparations are currently happening. Um, how do you see, let's say, AI in special? Um, how this could, for example, as well, let's say, foster further digitalization and acceptance in the German healthcare system. Is, are there any kind of specifics what you have in mind, for example? Yes, I mean, indeed, I have a few good examples, um, which I also happy to bring up. Um, first of all, I think artificial intelligence um, is really uh, yeah, a, a key changing aspect in digitization in healthcare. Um, we always have to take care because everyone speaks about AI and um, I think it's already become a buzzword. So many people don't really take it as serious anymore. But I think especially in healthcare, there are very good use cases. And one thing which I think also will increase the acceptance um, is, for example, decision support. Um, I mean, I come from a doctor's family. I have, I have everyday life. I'm in touch um, with doctors, for example. And I can see every day how difficult it is to keep the good understanding of the current medical status um, and also be up to date with everything that is changing. And also it happens so often that, for example, um, you see some symptoms that you might have seen the last time 10 years ago um, when you are a little bit older, and it's very difficult then to immediately grasp the situation in the right way. And I think here, um, decision support, when, for example, you provide the symptoms that you diagnose um, and then the system helps you, for example, a software solution helps you to immediately find the one, two potential diseases um, that might cause the symptoms. It will help a lot to also um, optimize um, the healthcare for the patient. And here, to answer your questions, I think it will immediately help to um, to immediately increase acceptance of these solutions because the patient understands, okay, the doctor um, has some solution, that mm -hmm. solution helps him to, yeah, to better diagnose, and this way I get a better treatment. Another situation is, for example, this whole clinical study aspect. At the moment, it is extremely complicated, very costly, and very time-consuming. But when using AI, you can basically create virtual clinical studies. I was just speaking with, for example, a startup which is called Vitonomy. They are doing exactly this. They are building digital twins. And using AI, you can then use these digital twins for the first steps of a clinical trial and basically have populations of hundreds of thousands of virtual um, patients and test, for example, new medication. Got you. Yeah, very interesting. Ones. I think both are as well bringing up... Um let's say, 
probably a couple of further questions. I mean, we're obviously acting quite closely, let's say, in the market access reimbursement area, right? Where also the, the, the GBA is, for example, evaluating then different, for example, drugs, but also the medical devices, et cetera. And I mean, if I would really think about AI, I personally always think about something learning, right? A learning system, where I would also say it might be probably even difficult to, let's say, finally decide on, let's say, an added benefit for such a learning system, right? Because obviously, the more patients and the more, let's say, um, uh, sample you have, or the higher the sample you have, um, potentially, the more useful the tool finally is, isn't it? I mean, it's it's probably very difficult then to evaluate such a tool in, in, a, in a kind of standard reimbursement pathway. Um, I mean, absolutely right. If I get your question correctly, what you are saying is um, we need a certain number of, of examples of use cases of, of real patients, for example, to train mm. the system, to have a good system running, right? Mm. Uh, and that is absolutely right. I mean, obviously, um, you cannot, for example, train AI um, just by itself. It is possible to some extent, but you need some real data. And also here, you have to make sure that there's real data is not in some way discriminative in, for example, just a certain sort of population, for example, right? Mm. Um, so this is definitely a key problem. Um, it has to be um, tackled, um, but I think it is not in some way um, yeah, causing us to say that AI is not a good solution, right? Yeah. It is just a, a problem, and these problems um, always occur when you have new technologies, for example. Yeah. No, no I fully agree. I think uh, it, it's probably rather something where I would potentially even say payers, so German health insurance maybe as well need to be aware of, right? I mean, maybe some of their standard tools, how they currently assess drugs and medical devices do not 100% work with tools like AI. And that's maybe as well, maybe a kind of pathway where I know that <laughs> let's say at least some insurance are as well working on such kind of, let's say, assessment, let's say scenarios. But I think it, it's as well quite difficult and maybe it might need to be opened up um, that reimbursement might only, let's say, be applicable for a given uh, time, and then maybe a reassessment, a reevaluation might happen again by insurances and or the GBA. I don't know. Yes, I mean that might be the case. Um, I also agree that in the future the whole regulatory process might have to change or be adapted in some way. And um, considering what you just explained, but also this virtual clinical study aspect that I just outlined. Um, to be frank, um, I think you are in some way maybe more expert in this regard than I am. Um, in our daily business, we are taking care of, of different um, aspects in digitization and healthcare. Um, but I fully agree with you that the regulatory process when it comes to, for example, um, approvals of drugs um, might also have to change. Yes. Mm. No, yeah, I, exactly, exactly. I think... Um... Good point. So I think, um, I mean, you brought up, I think, two quite interesting examples. I think AI, but I think also those kind of virtual patients in the maybe development of clinical trials, etc. Um, if you would think a bit further, let's say until, let's let's maybe take 2035. So in, in a bit more than 10 years time, what are the digital health trends currently would you would foresee for such a kind of, let's say, updated healthcare systems? So or how would you like maybe the healthcare system look like in 2035? I mean, that is a very good question because I think um, this is something we all 
need as a vision um, so we know what we are actually doing here, what we are working for and why digitization is so important. Um, thinking of 2035, I mean, in the optimal situation, we would have good decision support systems that, for example, doctors don't have don't do any mistakes because they just um, get the full picture and um, they don't have the full understanding of the current status of medicine, for example. I also wish for 2035 that we have really um, this cl virtual clinical studies thing um, ongoing um, on a regular basis and because at the moment it takes, takes more than 10 years sometimes to have new drugs um, approved and um, go through the entire um, approval process. And I think um, reducing this time to, for example, half, like five years, would benefit a lot. Because at the moment, you see that um, inventing new drugs gets more and more complicated because you are now taking care of the rare diseases since you already have drugs for the common diseases. And I think this will continuously extend the process of creating new drugs. And when we use, for example, this virtual clinical studies, it will extremely benefit um, all of us. Also, what I hope is that the whole interoperability thing, including also automation um, of certain um, standard processes in healthcare, um, will be a situation in 2035. Because at the moment, we really spend a lot of time and also money then for um, repetitive work that is not adding value. Doctors cannot take care of what they really want to do. Um, and also, we are missing information that is not transferred from, for example, one healthcare provider to the other. Um, and all this, I think, contributes this um, lack of, of experts that we have in the system. I think if you would optimize the system in this way, in terms of interoperability and also um, automation, we wouldn't have this lack. And I hope in 2035, we already have achieved this point. I hope even much further that we have this interoperability. Um, and then, yeah, let's see what's coming next. Maybe after 2035, something like Metaverse or so, but mm -hmm. this is something we cannot really know yet. <laughs> yeah, that's true, of course. <laughs> Nobody really knows, right? I mean, we can only, let's say, foresee the future given the kind of current development and current discussion. I, I agree. I think there might be some even further surprises. Um just generally, I mean, you have as well just mentioned, I mean, uh, you, you were grown up or you are, let's say, living in a kind of uh, physician's family, as you called it. Um, how would you generally see, let's say, the acceptance of such kind of new digital uh, solutions, whether it's maybe a support system or also, I think, very interestingly, obviously, those virtual clinical studies um, within physicians? How and what would we potentially need to change also in terms of perceptions, maybe starting just with physicians first, that those digital, um, let's say, solutions might might maybe even get a higher acceptance than we currently have? So the first question um, I will answer first, what is the current acceptance level? Um, I think um, it really depends, yet to be frank, on the age of many physicians. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I fear that um, most or many of the physicians um, don't really show the required acceptance yet. At least that's what, what I can see in daily life. Um, for example, you already mentioned the DGAS. Um, here, I think many physicians, I recently read, for example, that 53% uh, of the physicians have not really heard of DGAS. Maybe they have heard the word, but they didn't really um, understand what they can do with it. And I, of course, never subscribe it, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think here, acceptance level definitely needs to be improved. Um, and 
also maybe a little bit away from the physicians, but going to the payers, I think here the um, acceptance level is much higher. I see that, for example, the big um, public health insurance companies are much, much more going into digital health solutions, preventative health solutions, and so on. What needs to change, um, I think on the one hand, given that, of course, younger, physici younger physicians are entering the system, there is um, a certain level of, um, of acceptance by default, given the age, um, but also, of course, communication. So we have to communicate the advantages of these new solutions. For example, decision support. Many physicians fear that they yeah, lose their, their current role because the software solutions decide for them. But that's, of course, not the case. The software solutions are just there that the physicians can really do what they are basically doing best to really treat the patient and understand the patient's situation. And the decision support system just supports, for example, to find the right disease or so. Um, and I think COVID has helped to increase the acceptance level, but still, I think it has to dr drastically increase so we have, uh, yeah, that we can leverage and utilize the full potential of these new solutions. Yeah, I think a uh, very good point. I think, and, and the DIGA one, I think is a very good example. I mean, uh, to me, I think, um, I was hoping at least that we would have had much more, let's say, acceptance and hence usage of DIGAS um, up to now. I think, um, yeah, interestingly, I mean, as you said, I think the acceptance level um, is maybe still not yet there, um, at least not from the physician side. But I agree, it's very difficult just to generally say all physicians do not really accept it. I think it heavily depends, I think, on the disease areas, but also on the age for sure. I mean, we have also learned, I think that some physicians at least um, can run video consultations during the COVID time, right? I mean, currently, I think my kind of information is that also those numbers are maybe going further down. Do you think this has maybe as well more to do with, let's say, the kind of reimbursement what they're getting, meaning maybe it's not enough monetary incentive that maybe physicians might also firstly maybe invest a bit in their IT infrastructure, but secondly, then also maybe have one or the other patient maybe more seeing virtually instead of face-to-face? -face? Or what are your kind of perceptions around that one? Um, I mean, first of all, telemedicine, so having virtual conferences with your patient is paid, is reimbursed already. So this is already an improvement. Um, still, what I hear sometimes from, from some, some um, physicians, it is not extremely attractive for them to spend time on virtual um, yeah, telemedicine um, consultations. Um, so I think that might be one reason why, because you just said the numbers are declining again after COVID. I think during COVID, there was no option. So people mm. just did it. Now after COVID, there is an option that the patients are coming again. Um, and given that it is not extremely attractive for, for physicians, they say, patient, please come to my, to my office, for example. Mm. Um, so I think that might need some change in the reimbursement at some point. Um, so that, for example, because at the moment, physicians um, just accept what the, uh, I mean, the patients just accept what the physician, physician says, because yeah. we, when the physician says you need to come, otherwise you will not get an appointment, of course, I as a patient come. Um, I think here we need to have a general change in the system. Hopefully, at some point, we will not have this lack of physicians anymore. And then um, it might, might be much easier um, also to have more like a, a customer relationship and not just a patient relationship. Mm. Um, so this would be one aspect. And then also, I think um, many older physicians don't just like the general setup. 
of um, yeah, having the page just in front of you in a conference, a video conference, and not like in the good old days um, where, for example, the patient was sitting in front of you. But um, I think it is extremely comfortable for the patient, especially also for the system itself, when you don't have to go to the office whenever you have a small thing, you know. Um, so I think here there's also requiring some change of mindset, maybe from the physician side. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably the same when we would, let's say, move into the e-prescriptions, right? I mean, I was just trying a couple of weeks ago to get my first e-prescription, and my, my physician was just ignoring that, let's say, further letter of the E, right? He was just preparing a full prescription, which was a bit strange to see. But, I mean, it basically explains still a bit, right? I mean, as you just said, I mean, around COVID, there was the no other alternative. We need to do something different. And now I think probably also... It's probably mankind, right? I mean, we all do normally what we have done so far and what, what worked, right? But maybe we all need to change here as well a bit, which might as well go back a bit into the kind of, let's say, training or let's say the kind of um, academic kind of, uh, um, uh, yeah, probably uh, preparation of the uh, students or of the upcoming physicians. I guess that might also change quite a bit. But maybe taking a bit as well, let's say the pressure from the physician side, um, do you think maybe patients could also put a bit more pressure, for example, on their physicians by just requesting those digital solutions that maybe a bit even further? Well, my personal opinion is yes. Um, my general take on this is I think um, in the patient and physician relationship, um, we don't really have the general customer relationship that we are used to in all different other, other contexts, maybe yeah. in restaurant and so on. But I think that is okay to some extent because it's a healthcare situation and not just any sort of customer situation. Nevertheless, I think at the moment it is really all the, the work on the patients. And the patients have to come to the office. The patients have to go take the prescription, bring it to the pharmacy. They have to take their whatever, bring it to the hospital. Um, and I think, yes, the patient can put some pressure on the physicians and should say, you know, um, this is my expectation. And if, if you are not fulfilling the expectation, um, I want to look for someone else who can also do the same thing for me, maybe in a better way, in a more comfortable way. Of course, when we come to a very specialized physicians, it is not always possible because maybe they are the, the only ones in this region. But yeah. overall, I think um, there is a good right for the physicians to make this request. And for the patients, I mean, to make yeah, yeah, exactly, no, perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would fully agree. I think it's probably also a bit to us, but I think we might have the similar kind of, let's say, issue a bit when we are thinking about the average age, right? I mean, when I think about, let's say, um, you know, my kind of, let's say, uncles or 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 mother or or whoever, I mean, they have already, let's say, some difficulties just generally to understand why should something like digital help me when I'm ill. So this might be maybe quite similar to, I think, what we have discussed maybe a couple of minutes ago on the physician side. I think the younger maybe the patient might get, so the more the younger generations are getting more into their, let's say, healthcare system in a way, maybe the acceptance might, and also the pressure on the physicians might rise there as well. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Yeah, I think the age definitely changes a lot. Also, I think the mindset. Many young people have understood that they want to have some sort of prevention, not only care when they get sick. Um, and this is, yeah, a totally new thing, right? Um, changes also the work that physicians have to do in the future, I would say. No, fully agree, fully agree. Okay, I, 
Last question, maybe a, a bit more broader. I mean, if you would suddenly, let's say, meet up, for example, in elevator, uh, the current uh, German Minister of Health, what would be the kind of core recommendation, let's say, from a digitalization in healthcare system, um, from your perspective, what you would tell him? I think what we really need to achieve in Germany is to reduce the borders between the sectors. Sectors, I mean, in terms of geography, <laughs> this is really causing some, some stomachache, but also in terms of outpatient, inpatient, elderly care versus um, yeah, health care, because sometimes it's reimbursed by the, by the public health insurance, sometimes it's reimbursed um, by the pension insurance and so on. So I think these different sectors are really causing or really slowing down the, the digitization. And I think it would be good in terms of political change to try to reduce the borders between the sectors and then try to open up for new overarching solutions, you know. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very good point. <laughs> I mean, it's probably the biggest kind of change we we first of all need before probably even, let's say, digitalization could really even maybe take the, the second, third, and the fourth step, right? So it's a mm -hmm. yeah, very good point. And uh, yeah, thank you, Julian. I think for your insight, that was very, very interesting. I think also getting the different kind of perspectives in here. And I think looking forward, obviously, to the future, I see as you probably do, a future in digital health, also and especially in Germany. And I think the, let's say the underlying ground is probably uh, laid out. It's now just more to the physician, but also to us as a patient, right? To maybe go those steps further. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks so much, Stefan. So digitalization is on its way, to say it positively, as we have heard from Julian Molitor in the last couple of minutes. There's still a good pathway to go. I think also Julian clearly agreed that, for example, the market access pathways might potentially not, let's say, fit 100% to the digital tools, to the solutions from a digital perspective, um, 100%, but that's maybe also on the way to be changed and or at least to be discussed. Interestingly, he also raised the point, even uh, when raising up in a, as he called it, physician's family, meaning uh, mother and father were both uh, treating physicians, um, the kind of distance to digitalization is st sometimes still there. But a lot of times, as we have as well heard, is just generally the kind of question, how could digital, the digitalization of digital health really help and support, one, the patient, and secondly, um, physicians. So also here, maybe it's rather the kind of question, how to better communicate and show the benefits of those digital health supporters, supporting tools, and what could that basically then benefit finally for the system and for the different stakeholders. That was an episode of MAP, the Market Access Podcast, provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.